and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. First of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, we would love it if you shared it. Share it on social media. Send a text to a friend. You'll notice today's guest is actually not on social media. So just grab your parents' phone and subscribe to the show. I know I've done that for my parents and for people that I know. Whatever we could do to try to continue to get these messages into as many people's ears as possible. That's what we're trying to do. So thank you to those of you who have shared these conversations and thanks to those of you that continue to support the podcast. If you like today's episode or any of our past episodes, we'd also appreciate it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. Hopefully you leave us five stars, but write us a review. It really helps us find new people and expands our community of listeners. Thank you all for your continued support. Now to today's guest. Rudy Klein Thomas is the founder and managing partner of a company called Mastery Inc., which brings together world-class athletes, leading technology, media, and consumer product companies, as well as entrepreneurs and investors to create top-tier platform-building companies. And when we say top-tier platform-building companies, we're talking about Companies like Zoom, which we used to record this podcast, and I'm sure everybody is familiar with Zoom by now. Allbirds, whose shoes I'm actually wearing right now. Uber, who's a company that I've used like many people to get around my city and many, many other companies that are changing the world and and changing the game when it comes to uh, the business world. Most recently, Rudy was an executive producer and he's going to talk about this in the documentary, The Scheme, which premiered on HBO. Uh, Really interesting documentary on the underbelly of college basketball and, and some of the dark sides that exist in basketball. And it's really an ethical and moral film that talks about what is right and what is wrong and how does that all play out in college basketball. So I think you'll find that documentary to be interesting. Uh, Also in 2017, Rudy founded the annual Players Technology Summit. Uh, Now they have Bloomberg as a presenting partner. They bring together top, top class athletes that you definitely have heard of with some of the best thought leaders in technology and venture capital. It's really an amazing uh, 
event that Rudy puts on and I haven't been there yet, but I'm hoping to get there at some point. And a lot of this conversation is going to be about Rudy's career and, and journey. And previously he was a member of the Nas- National Basketball Association's Consumer Products Group. He played a key role in managing the accounts of various NBA licensees, creating value for athletes and advising the league on new trends. Today, Rudy serves as a strategic advisor to Gucci and is a board advisor to Jumia Technologies, which is on the New York Stock Exchange. And he also sits on the advisory board of Global Communities and is a board member of the Business Advisory Council for Providence College, which is where he went and earned his undergrad degree. He works and resides in New York City. And Rudy is somebody who is just really uh, an energetic guy, is somebody who is driven and ambitious. You're going to hear that in today's conversation and is just very persistent and dogged to get to where he wants to go. He's a wise human being, and he is somebody who has been around some of the top performers in the world. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Rudy Klein Thomas. Rudy, great to have you on the podcast. I think we were first connected by our mutual friend, David Mintzberg. Shout out to David. Uh, And before David had connected us, I had heard from other podcast guests that, hey, Rudy's somebody that you should have on. Henry Abbott from True Hoop, I think was like, hey, Uh, Rudy might be an interesting guy for you to connect with. So since then, we've actually had many conversations offline and always enjoy learning from you and your wisdom and your story and your energy. And so this is going to be fun because hopefully we'll explore some areas that we haven't in the past. But where I'd love to start is give everyone an idea of your childhood, what life was like for you as a kid, uh, your upbringing. Uh, Just paint that picture for us. Sure, sure. Uh, My parents are West African from Sierra Leone. Uh, They came uh, to the country in the late 60s. Um, And I was born and raised in the Washington, uh, D.C. metro area, Um, first off in D.C. and then moved to Silver Spring. uh, uh, say early teens, and um, and yeah, it was the it was the three of us. I'm one of three children, uh, middle middle boy and only boy. I uh, have two older two sisters, one younger and one older. Uh, my older sister currently lives in um, Burke, Virginia, and my younger sister lives uh, in New York. Uh, here, not too far from me. And what were some of the messages your parents would pass down to you as a kid? What were some of the values that they passed down to you? Oof. Um, most specifically, just discipline. Um, they're they're very very much disciplinarians. Uh, you know, uh, we we love sports, and especially me and my dad, we bonded over sports. But education was always uh, first and foremost, and it's where my parents invested in us was the essence of giving us the the best education that they could. So that was always the number one priority in our household. Soccer. What were the sports that you guys were following? It's always Georgetown basketball, uh, Redskins. And uh, that was it. I mean, we were Redskins and, and Georgetown Hoya hoop, uh, hoop family for the most part. I mean, the the bullets at the time weren't weren't very good or great. So but it was it was we were religious with Georgetown basketball and uh, the Redskins for sure. But soccer was soccer not a part of his life? And no, my dad didn't play. He didn't play much. I mean, he didn't. He, you know, he didn't go far with it. But um, I mean, there was nothing to support here in the states in essence of soccer. So. Uh, and being West Africans as well, most of them follow a lot of premiership teams, but there was no way to follow it either. So I never played soccer. Um, I played, you know, recreationally, but it was always uh, basketball for me um, ever since I was four or five years old. When did they come over to the U.S., mom and dad? Uh, late 60s. 
And how old were they when, when that happened? Uh, my dad came, he finished high school here. Um, uh, my, my grandfather worked in the Sierra Leonean government. Um, uh, so he finished high school here and my mother came, um, after she finished, um, uh, high school and she moved to New York, um, uh, right after that. So, um, and both came to, uh, you know, uh, for just education purposes as well to, to extend their education. And being immigrants, what was their perspective on the U S was their perspective on Africa? What sort of communication? Uh, yeah. What was no, that? Like for you? We were definitely deep rooted in, um, and, and, and I was definitely raised uh, within the African culture. I mean, we, uh, I talk about it with, a, you know, a bunch of my friends, a lot of them uh, were raised the same way, but definitely rooted in discipline. Um, uh, again, education. And, and we went back quite frequently. I mean, pretty much every other year um, until I finished college, um, we went back. So I was very, very much exposed to um, Sierra Leone um, and, and the culture there as well. Um, you know, Sierra Leonean food is still my favorite food as well, too. So, you know, mom's cooking is still my favorite, my, my favorite. So, and that, that won't change anytime soon. Are you more like your mom or more like your dad? Um, I think uh, socially more like my mother. Um, I work more like my father, for sure. Socially more extrovert, introvert? How do you see that? Yeah, I can be an extrovert. Um, I can be both, but I, I'd say that uh, I, I think that... Uh, I, I definitely usually, I think people usually say that I have a lot of energy. My mother has a lot of energy. Um, uh, my dad's more introverted um, for sure. And sports, you mentioned watching Georgetown and, and watching the Redskins. What did you play growing up? Uh, basketball. Yeah, 100%. And so fell, fell in love with that early? Yeah, very early. Larry Bird was my favorite player. I, my dad said it was the first game that I, I was hooked on was seeing him. I think, uh, you know, it's funny seeing Last Dance and um, the game against the Celtics, MJ's 62-point game or 63-point game was the first time that I've ever seen him play. Um, and it happened to be against the Celtics on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and I remember that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, Larry Bird was, you know, Celtics at the time of the team, early 80s. And, um, yeah, I got hooked to him. You know, it wasn't magic. It was Bird for me. And uh, he was my favorite player growing up. That's it. It's just interesting you say that. And it's interesting that you watch that game and we're drawn to bird when it seems like a lot of, at least a lot of people I know is more drawn to magic, as you said, or yeah, yeah. I'm a few, maybe I'm a few years younger than you. So for us, it was very clear. There was no, there was no bird to, to Jordan. There was no yeah. magic bird. It was, it was Jordan. It was yeah. like Carl Malone and Stockton. Stockton was my guy, but it was, it was Jordan. Um, so it, what do you think about Larry Bird? What do you think the the draw was for you? Um, just how savvy he was. I mean, I loved the way, you know, it, it was his jump shot. He was savvy. He had a control of the entire game. Um, uh, yeah, I just I just was memorized, but with, you know, and I love the colors too and just Boston. I, I, I don't know. I loved it all. I, I love that. Team. I love that team. Yeah, for sure. And 16-year-old version of you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Were there any dreams or thoughts as far as what you wanted to do? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to be in business some way, somehow. Um, uh, my uh, seventh grade teacher, um, Mrs. Norton, she uh, she made us do a stock picking contest. Um, that's when we learned about the uh, stock market. And I remember coming in second um, in that contest. Uh, and I, I really, really loved the essence of, of – uh, of picking stocks and 
and being able to, to create, see, uh, well, you, you can passive wealth, shall I say, you know, in essence of, of investing. And I, and I generally fell in love with it. And I knew that it was something that I uh, wanted to continue. So I had a pretty early understanding that I definitely wanted to be in business. I remember my dad telling me, uh, you know, to, to major in economics because it was general enough and I can pick from there. But once I got to school, um, I knew that finance was exactly where I was focused on. So I knew pretty early what I wanted to do. It's interesting. There, there are people that believe that money and your relationship with money from a young age gets formed. And what was your relationship with money growing up? How did you think about money um, as a teenager? Just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, money growing up, I didn't come up in an affluent uh, 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 upbringing, but um, you know, never, we we didn't we didn't we didn't need for anything. We went to very very um, we went to private schools, which was again, you know, our parents, you know, invested in our education. So I um, went to private school from kindergarten all the way to to uh, to twelfth grade. Um, so it was always around us in the sense of affluence as well too. And I think um, just being around it. Um, you know, uh, I aspire to want more, you know, at a very, very uh, young age. Um, I wasn't the best student, but uh, always had the work ethic as well, too. So, you know, after I, I realized what I wanted to do, I was always able to apply my work ethic to, to exactly what I wanted to accomplish. And any religion um, frameworks or spiritual frameworks that... Yeah, Methodist, Christian, Christian, Methodist. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You yeah, grew up in the church. And then, so college, you mentioned finance. Uh, where'd you go to school and what was your college experience like? I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. Um, I had a great college experience um, just from the people that I, were able, I was able to meet in college. Um, met my best friend in college as well, too. So um, it, was, it was tough at first just getting away from home in the D.C. culture. I was, I was very much embedded in the D.C. culture. And, and I had, you know, my other best friends are from high school as well, too. And they all went to, they all stayed around the, uh, the area to go to school. So I, I always felt like I was missing out, especially initially. Um, my parents really wanted me to get away and grow up and kind of get out of the, the, uh, the, the clique that I was in and, and, and everything that was going on around us. So um, it was the best decision that, that they made for me in my life. And I, I'm, I'm really, really uh, fortunate that, that, that I went away to school. You said the best decision that they made for you. What was that process yeah, like? Well, I definitely wanted to stay. Um, and when we went to visit Providence, um, I remember my mom saying, you know, this is, this is the school for you. I want you to go here. And it was like, it was a done deal after that. So I didn't really, I didn't really push back much. Um, you know, I, you know, I could have gone to a lot of different places, but, uh, you know, again, I'm glad I chose Providence and it was a great experience and very much close to the school now. And you mentioned studying finance. What went into that decision as opposed to economics or, or something else? Uh, nothing I knew was specific. I think it was more intense in essence on the financial side. Um, and, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, I, I, I can't tell you that I even knew specifically what I'd be studying. Um, when I, when I walked in, I just knew that, uh, you know, economics was a little too broad for me. And, uh, I had more of an interest in more specific, uh, uh, uh specifically in finance. So, uh, that's what I did. You mentioned stock picking earlier and that being a, a moment where you're like, wow, I really enjoy this. Was the thought when you're in college, hey, I'm going to be in private wealth, or what, what were you thinking back then? No idea. Uh, I had no idea. Um, yeah, I didn't know what I was. I, I didn't. 
I had no idea. I, uh, I was just doing it because it was the only thing that really interested me. I didn't have any other interest. Um, uh, I remember, I mean, my break was getting uh, internship with the NBA, with the NBA prior to my senior year in, in college. That was my, ma- my massive break and that, that got me into the business. What was that experience like for you? I was great. Um, got to New York, uh, you know, got paid a nice stipend and, uh, you know, got to meet all the folks in the league, you know, from, from the top all the way down. And, uh, again, it was the, it was the best experience for me and, and a huge break, but I, I networked, uh, I was, I learned how to network pretty early and I networked that into, uh, you know, into where I worked, uh, post, uh, when I graduated. So, Again, it was just uh, if I didn't have that those relationships, I wouldn't be able to to leverage that to to um, my first job. What even led to you applying for that internship? Go back and like, why was that even something that you went after? Well, I uh, you know I had a, a business background and I had a passion for sports and basketball, and it was like you know where else am I going to work? I mean, I thought it was the best place for me to intern. Um, and I just wrote them constantly about interning. And um, actually, it's funny, I got a, the internship at Reebok, um, which was in Stoughton, Mass., which wasn't too far from my school, and I got accepted. And I actually went up there to visit and everything. And then the next day, I got, uh, I got uh, into the uh, program at the NBA, and I had to decline uh, Reebok. Um, but I had, I had options, and uh, it, all turned, it all worked out for the best. Do you think if you had ended up doing the Reebok internship, you'd be in a different place today, or you think you'd be on the same path? You know how it is, B, you know, um, it's the little decisions, those little, you know, you never know what, uh, what comes from the decisions that you make and what they lead to. So I'm sure I'd have been on a completely different path. Who knows though. Right. But, uh, again, you know, when I met you, who the hell knew that, you know, we'd be here today. Right. I, I mean, I just think it's so interesting. These little pivots or these little moments that drive where we end up going and yeah. how, what ends up happening. I know for me, like graduating from college, I wanted to do teach for America and yeah. uh, I got rejected like flat out. I'm like, what do you mean you're rejecting me? I want to go to an inner city and, <laughs> and, and help people and teach. I'm like, you're rejecting me. And soon I found out that they accept like 10% of applicants. And there were people from a lot better schools than where I went to that were also getting rejected. Right. And, but I do think I, I wonder if I had gone down that path, what I would be doing today, because I had a passion and a burning desire inside of me to try to make the place, the world a more just place. And I still have that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times for me, at least there are, it was when doors got shut on me or when I felt some sort of, I don't call it pain, but like someone said no. And then that led me to go down a different path, uh, with a certain energy and tenacity and fire that maybe was in part due to getting rejected. Um, yeah, no, always. I mean, you know, the essence of pain is, 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 um, leads to so much of our development. I mean, people don't realize that the, usually the, the, the most progress that we make is, is because of pain, right. You know, whether you call it rejection, whether you call it, um, you know, insecurity, right. You know, but again, um, yeah, we, we only grow, we grow the most through pain. So the, the fact that you're able to embrace that and make it, you know, a, a great outcome is, is says a lot about you. What's the biggest failure or rejection that you've had? I had a lot of them, man. You, uh, 
failure or rejection. Um, probably the biggest one was when I didn't make varsity my sophomore year uh, in, uh, in, in uh, high school because all my friends did. And that was a lonely year because it was the first time we weren't all together. And, you know, that's, you know, it was a very insecure moment. Probably the most insecure that I've ever felt in my life was uh, my sophomore year in high school. So it was a, it was, that was a lonely year. I'm smiling because you and Michael Jordan have that in common, I guess. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? And 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 well, he he definitely used it <laughs> more than I did, but uh, but I how, I say that, that was it for sure. How did you react to that? Um, I just worked harder. I did, that was the first time in my life I hadn't gotten what I wanted, and I realized that you know I wouldn't be able to sell through like I actually had to outwork other people. That that concept of outworking someone else. Um, was completely foreign to me until that point in time, you know, when it was just, it wasn't good enough. Being who I was was good enough. It's so interesting. I got, uh, I got cut the last cut of my freshman year on the JV team. And they Uh, told me I was too small and I I was small. I was small and scrawny and was not athletic like Nate Robinson or anything. I wasn't jumping out of the gym. I wasn't quick, but I was tough. And they said, get bigger and stronger. My sophomore year, I come back. I'm not any bigger yeah. or stronger. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I'm like, F them. Like, I'm better than right. these kids. Right. I, you know, I, I played ball, like whatever. Come back and they cut me again. And right. uh, I did not. I, I was not the type of kid that would go to the coach and be like, oh, well, just let me be on the team or, you know, let me just practice. And there were kids that would do that. Or I wasn't going to mommy and daddy and saying, hey, they cut me. Like, that wasn't me. Right. I was much more like F you. Um, and. I look back and I'm like, man, there was a real opportunity there to learn and grow. And I was not ready to learn and grow. And I think since that time, I would say it didn't really happen for me until in the last like five, five, 10 years where I really learned how to use something, learn from it and be persistent and find a way. And I think for a long time, I would just add it to my, my fire and put a chip on my shoulder and be like, Oh, well, I'll show you. But I didn't use that to then work harder. I just was like, I'll show you. I was like, Oh really, dude, nobody really cares about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the last, I've changed it to like, not why me it, it starts with like, all right, well, let me go explore why that happened. Right? Like what, right. what, what was the feedback and what, let's actually listen to it. Yeah. And then I go and try to get as much information as possible. And then I'm like, all right, now watch what I'm going to do. Right. And, it, and if I still get rejected, it's totally cool. Um, yeah. but, but the 15 year old version of me, uh-uh, man, nope. I was just like, if you, I remember I, I, I went to Popeye's after getting cut and I love Popeye's. I still love Popeye's. I just don't eat it as much or really ever. But I remember there were a bunch of guys at Popeye's and I went in there and they're like, you got cut. And I was like, yeah, man, it's bullshit. And they're uh-huh. like, yeah, it's bullshit. And so that was my mindset. Like I was getting robbed or something. And the reality right, was right. like, probably just wasn't good enough. It's right, just like, right. no, it's real. Well, it's you're real. Sh- like, you know, I'm reading a, a great book. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done with it, but I'm actually, um, I uh, got a couple of my buddies to do. We do like a book study on um, a case study every Wednesday night, but we're, this is our book. It's the simple art of not giving a fuck. Mm, I haven't read it, but I oh, know about it. God. I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna send it to you today. Actually, I'll send it to you right after this. Um, and it's a, it's exactly the essence of what we're talking about is the thesis of the book. You know, um, of the essence of pain, how we gravitate towards it, and how the, our our 
social understanding of pain is completely off is wrong, you know, um, and how much it's needed for actually happiness. Right. So everyone thinks that we avoid it. The essence of avoiding pain, um, leads us to a better life because we all want happiness, but happiness only comes through pain and overcoming it. Right. You know, true happiness that is and true growth, but, uh, and it's how you embrace it, but you have to understand it a certain way. I, I came up with this idea a couple of years ago. I studied happiness and the science of happiness, and I, I still do. But I shifted my mindset to not focus on being happy, but trying to feel alive. And yeah, yeah. like part of feeling alive is feeling all of the emotions, sadness, yeah, 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 yeah. anxiety, fear, yeah. anger. Yeah. Uh, so that's big for me. So you're at the MBA in this internship. Uh, what did you love about that experience? What, what, why was I that? Worked guy, I worked for a guy named Sal Araka that gave me a lot of autonomy to create what I wanted. So it was almost like, all right, kid, you're in my office. Um, he heads consumer products now. He's a senior VP. Um, and he was young. Um, he was a young executive at the time. And he was just so cool, you know. Um, and, you know, it's funny that you say that. I'm actually, I'll write him today because um, I haven't seen him in a long time. But, um yeah, man. I, uh, he just let me rock. He just let me rock and roll and, and let me do what I needed to do. And, you know, he gave me stuff to do, but, um, you know, you can't ask for a better internship. I mean, uh, all the people that were in my class, their fathers were GMs or coaches or, you know, some affiliation with the league. So, and the fact that I didn't have one was, was quite interesting, but they brought me back again for the all-star game that year. Was, I think it was 2000 in, uh, Oakland. Um, uh, to work it and then they wanted me to um, they wanted me to work at the NBA the following year but they weren't paying enough for me to live in New York um, comfortably but anyway um, again just the experience and um, being able to put the NBA on my letterhead I mean on my CV was um, you know tremendous I mean the the doors that I was able to get in with that pedigree um, of having that internship was was massive for me you know it took away from not being you know, it mitigated me not being the best student, you know? Any idea why they accepted you? You mentioned... Yeah, she told me that I, I wrote her the most. Like, I didn't stop writing, you know? Um, she she commended the head of the internship program, commended my uh, my drive in, in trying to get the internship. Uh, she said that I was the last person accepted as well. Hmm. Are you persistent? Extremely. It hasn't stopped yet. Where does that come from for you? Uh, my mom, my mom is extremely persistent person. Um, uh, she's extremely, extremely persistent person. Um, and she just doesn't believe in just no. Um, if she wants something, she, there's just no excuses for either working hard or just figuring it out. You know, there's, there's, there's a fun in trying to figure things out to get what you want, you know? Um, and, uh, and that's how I am. And that's how I've been ever since there's, there's never been, there's never been a situation where I, I didn't think that I could accomplish something, you know? Hmm. So also self-belief and confidence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No question. Persistence, doggedness, hard work, uh, solving problems, and yeah. then this belief that you're the right person for the job, even when you're looking around at all the other people that got this internship and they're all connected to the NBA. It's like, no, I belong. Give me something to do and I'm going to go do it. Well, yeah, I always say, I always think that I'm, I'm going to always work the hardest. I just need the opportunity, right? And the opportunities are what you create for yourself. So at the end of the day, it's just getting in the door. The rest will take care of itself, you know? 
What did you do after the NBA? So you mentioned you can't go back to New York. It's too expensive, but you've got. Yeah, I came home and I worked for Lon Babby, who was an agent. He had Grant Hill and Tim Duncan at the time. Um, so he's a top three agent in all the NBA. And um, he offered me a job. And um, I came and worked with him. And I met, uh, I worked for Jason Levian, who who now is a, is a team owner, runs and owns the um, DC United. And I worked for Len Brown, who's a general counsel now for the, the PGA Tour. And um, then Jim Tanner was there as well, too, who now is the CEO, president of Tandem Sports. And I think he represents uh, like John Morant and a couple other guys as well. So um, I learned under some really great guys. And, you know, uh, Lon went off to run the Phoenix Suns after, after a couple of years. So I actually know all three of those guys. I don't know some of the people you mentioned, but I know uh, Jim Tanner loosely. I know Lon Babby. I know Jason Levy. And three very different personalities from yeah. my perspective. Yeah. What did you learn from those guys? Because I think they all go about their business very differently. Yeah. I mean, me and Jason hit it off. I was closest to Jason. Um, uh, he was the youngest at the time. Um, so I came in and I worked closely with him. He had just finished law school at Michigan. And, uh, I mean, we became best buddies. I mean, uh, both, you know, extremely, extremely ambitious. Um, you know, the essence of no, uh, you know, we, we didn't know what that word meant. And um, I spent every day with him and watching him work the phones and, you know, uh, his, the, build relationships. Um, I learned so much from him, you know. Uh, and uh, he, he for, for at least a good decade, he, he for sure was the, the greatest uh, professional influence that I had in my life. And being an agent, is, is that something that excited you at the time? Like that's what, that, was the, that was it for you? That was going to be the, the future? Yeah, for, for a couple of years it was. But once I realized that I, I wasn't able to um, employ my, um, my entrepreneurial muscle as much, you know, um, you know, there's a level of negotiation that goes into it. I think that's overplayed. That only happens in certain, you know, after a couple of years here and there. Um, there's a lot of uh, emotional intelligence that's needed in that job. Um, and then also, I mean, you just have to fit in, you know, and, and that wasn't really my strong suit. You know, um, I'm very much an alpha personality um, and being in, and, and just being able to fit in or to be a chameleon. Um, just it's just not who I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Um, I wanted to make a bigger uh, I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but build things, invest, and and do other things as well too. So the confines of being an agent just didn't suit me, uh, long term. Two really interesting things. One for people that don't realize, Lon, Jason, and, and Jim Tanner. I think they're all lawyers by trade as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So they were in a big law firm, Williams and Connolly. Yeah. And uh, so they tried to set up a model that was different and disruptive to the agent industry, where. Charge hourly. It ended up right. changing and evolving over the years, but that was the thesis there. So it's just kind of interesting that you were also in that environment. And yeah. then you said alpha. It reminded me since the Jordan documentary came out, I've been texting with a lot of basketball people. And mm -hmm. the one thing that has been really interesting is we've been talking about alphas because mm -hmm. Jordan is so clearly an alpha. Mm -hmm. And like just being interested in how you arrange a team with an alpha. And who do you surround that alpha with? And what is the head coach like to manage an alpha? And I think one of the interesting things about the documentary is Phil Jackson's role in his conversations with Michael. And then Michael also 
trying to manage what's around him. I, I look at the documentary still playing out as we're recording this, but that word alpha has been really something that I'm, I'm fascinated by is like, who are alphas? How do you get them on your team? How do you give them the autonomy and freedom to be their best? And how do you also make sure that they're not going to blow the whole thing up? Uh, are, you, are you, are you an alpha? I think, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I struggle in confined situations where I don't have autonomy and I have to take orders and I want it on my shoulders and want like, let's, let's freaking go and do right. it. Uh, and I'm not really afraid of missing the last shot. Like I, I remember shooting a three it, like Steph Curry style before Steph Curry was a thing, <laughs> you know, when I was in seventh grade you know, from in between half court and three, cause why not? Like I, but it is interesting. Like what is an alpha is, and that, that's what we started to unpack with these people I was talking to who are You coaching. just said it though. You said it perfectly. I mean, to put it in a, a specific, you know, uh, sentence or two, you said, you know, being, not being afraid of taking the last shot and missing it. You know, I mean, I think that that's it. You know, um, you're not afraid of the consequences is, is what it is, you know, cause people, tend to gravitate about that. And, and then you said something that was, was also interesting is the essence of confines. You know, you don't feel comfortable in, in the confines or when you put in confined situations, right? And I think that those are two of the biggest characteristics in, 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 in distinguishing what an alpha is. Something I'd love to continue to drill down with you because I think that like coaches and general managers, if you're bringing an alpha in, you need to know that they are and you need to, and, and like one coach I was talking to was like, yeah, I want, I need an alpha on my team. Like I need right. somebody that I know is going to be in the foxhole with me and we're going to war and use those analogies, but we're in it and we're going at it and we're, we're, we're not afraid to take our chances. Right. Um, but I think a lot of coaches don't know how to manage an alpha. And I think when you have multiple alphas, I'm not sure how effective a team that is as well. Um, so I think those are really interesting dynamics that maybe it's a conversation we'll have, um, one day over lunch because I, I, am struck by it with Jordan. Cause I think he is the ultimate alpha. And, um, I, I think you're, we're just going to continue to watch that play itself out in the documentary. It's, it's I interesting. Agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. So at what point are you like, hey, man, I need to pivot into something different other than, other than being an agent. Uh, um, it was four years after I had started, um, got out of school. Um, I grew up with a bunch of guys in the, in the DC area and played basketball with them from Roger Mason, Steve Francis, um, Vernon Davis. And, um, uh, I realized that, um, most of them came to me for advice in essence of, you know, so many things, but more so the business aspect, especially from a financial aspect as well too. And, um, I said, you know what, I think that there's a greater need for financial advice um, for young African-American athletes um, than being an agent, you know, and that will allow me from an entrepreneurial side to get into more of the things that I, that I actually generally liked, which was, you know, like we said before, um, whether it's financial advisory and or just, you know, uh, investments as a whole. And I, I started, I, I moved to Philadelphia. I'll tell you the rest of the story. I, I moved yeah. to Philadelphia. Uh, because I couldn't afford office space in D.C. or New York at the time. And uh, my best friend who who went to good counsel with me, um, he uh, just started um, going to school uh, post-grad at uh, Temple, and he just bought a house. Uh, so I knew I could 
shack up with him and then also find some really affordable office space and, and set up my shingle there. Um, and, and that's how I ended up in Philadelphia. One of the things I was struck by when we met is how mission minded you are. And mm-hmm. so we're talking about money and making investments. W- what's behind all that? Like, what's your mission? What do you, what do you want to leave this earth and accomplish? Oh, um, yeah, I'm not sure to, re- I don't know what I, what I want to leave this earth with. I just, I just pray that I, uh, I, I can leave, I can create something that can live way beyond me. Um, uh, that has a certain level of influence. Um, that's, that's it. And I don't know what that'll be, but, uh, that's what I, I strive to do while I'm on this earth is to, is to create something that lives uh, a long way beyond me. But it sounds like financial literacy and, and, and helping people better understand how to invest intelligently. Obviously in sports, we've heard so many stories about pro athletes who go broke. Um, is there any, where where do you want to make an impact whether it's community or how how do you see all that global impact um uh you know the the reason why i i i stay close to the athletes is because they're the biggest microphones um in our society right so i feel like if i can impact what they do especially as it pertains to you know entrepreneurship and investments um and you know most recently tech um, then that speaks to our culture as well too, right? So um, they've been able to amplify a lot of stuff that I've been doing just with, with the association first and foremost. But I can't say that uh, my mission is to teach athletes how to be more financially savvy. That's that's definitely not specifically, to just to be completely honest with you, uh, you know, my, my motivation. Yeah, when you say global impact, what do you mean by that? I don't know. Uh, I just hope it has, I hope my influence or, or whatever I create has influence beyond you know uh the the general area i'm hoping that you know i'm i'm from i'm african i, I don't tell people that i'm american i'm african right um my my roots are, are deep rooted in uh in west africa specifically but you know if if i can create something to where those kids feel like they have an opportunity to do something better than their current situation then uh then then i'd, I'd be happy why do you use the term African instead of African American? And what's the because thinking? Because my parents are African, and we were we were grown up in an African culture. You know, it wasn't African American culture. I wasn't raised in African American culture. I was raised in that, as an African kid. Period. That's helpful. And one of the things that I was struck by is routine habit. You mentioned earlier having Wednesday reading calls. Um, you know, a reading group where we're going over stuff. Talk about some of the habits and routines you you leverage to make sure that you're your best. Um, good question. I uh, I work out every day. I try to work out every day, so I, I try to start workouts at six thirty every morning. Um, I uh, I'm extremely routine, so you know, uh, try to get to bed by between eleven and twelve every night. Um, I have a specific diet as well, too. I mean, I'll, I don't know if there's anything that I do that's not specific, you know, specific to routine and or extreme i'm extremely regimented you know and i feel like you can't do a lot if you uh if you're not organized you know and i and i'll try to organize as much as possible you also put on a summit every year where you bring together both athletes and some of the top names in business uh talk about that and and what goes into that and, and why you do that um so we started the players tech conference um uh and we started in 2015. Um, I actually started with the NBA first in 2015, but um, I realized there's just a massive gap between, um, you know, what I was doing in tech 
um, and uh, and the sports world specifically. So there wasn't too many athletes that were investing in, in startup tech companies. And I thought that there was uh, I can I can bring those two worlds together um, through a platform which we created. You know the the Players Tech Conference and um, Bloomberg was was uh, nice enough to to partner with us in 2016, and we made it to Bloomberg's Players Tech Conference, and the rest was history. I'm just curious to get a sense of what makes you feel most alive. What when do you feel most energized? You got your hands in a lot of different things. You're, you're, you work on all kinds of stuff and you're welcome to share as much or as little, but when do you feel most alive? Like when is it that you feel most excited? Uh, when I'm with my family, for sure. So whenever I'm spending time with my parents and my sisters and my nephews and, you know, uh, that, that's, that's an easy question to answer. Yeah, for sure. No question. There's not even a close second. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else that you want to share with us and uh, mention? I, I know that you have, uh, you've had your, you've been involved in a documentary that's out right now. So uh, let's give that at least a plug and um, anything else that you think people should be aware of that they might not be aware of right now. Uh, no, um, uh, no specific plug. Uh, I, uh, we just uh, finished a documentary on HBO uh, called the scheme. Uh, it's my first uh, foray into content, and um, uh, yeah, everyone check it out. Um, you checked it out, so you can speak to it. Um, again, it's it's my first project, and uh, we're really really happy with how it came out, and we're hoping to do more things with HBO in the future. So um, it, it's it's a first it's a first uh, a good first at bat, shall I say, in essence of content. Um, and uh, and that's it for now. Social media, where can people follow you there? None. You're no, done. You, know, you, you cut it you off. The, you knew the answer to that. I've never <laughs> been on social media before. You know that. No social media for me. Why I not? Uh, it's just a, a way for me to stay disconnected. I don't have to be always connected. I, uh, it, you know, I, I don't know. It's just something that I've never wanted to be gravitated to. The, uh, I think subconsciously it controls a lot of what we do and how we think. And I, and I don't want, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be influenced by it. I actually have one last question. I know you got to run. What, where do you like to get information from? Where do you like to learn? How do you like to learn? Avid reader. So all kinds of books. I mean, uh, if you look at, uh, down there, you see all those books. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I read incessantly. I, I've read, uh, you know, three books in the last week. Um, audio books are my favorite thing. And, um, yeah, I, uh, reading and, you know, incessantly, I, I, I read all, you know, at least four or five hours a day of my days reading, you know, whether it's uh financial times, where it's the book that I'm reading wall street journal, you name it, you know, I, you know, so I, I take it all in. Awesome. Well, I am on social media. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, <laughs> Instagram, intentional underscore performers, uh, Rudy, Looking forward to doing this in person sometime. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I, I enjoyed our very first. I'm sorry, I'm sorry it's taking so long to do this too. I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that. So sorry for, the, for, for taking so long to, to get this done. But we did it, Dobie. 
if you think I take it personally, you got another thing coming. And <laughs> like, I don't mind being persistent. We, I think we share a lot of qualities and um, uh, looking forward to seeing everything that you're going to continue to do to make an impact on this world. And hopefully we get to partner on some stuff in the future and uh, collaborate and uh, excited to share you with uh, my community as well. So thanks for your time and uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I, uh, I work out every day. I try to work out every day. So I, I try to start workouts at 6.30 every morning. Um, I, uh, I'm extremely routine. So, you know, uh, try to get to bed by between 11 and 12 every night. Um, I have a specific diet as well, too. I mean, I'll, I don't know if there's anything that I do that's not specific, you know, specific to routine and or extreme. I'm extremely regimented, you know, and I feel like you can't do a lot if you uh, if you're not organized, you know, and I and I try to organize as much as possible.